Judah prayed and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was a, at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Well, Ahab informs Jezebel what's happened, and uh, how does Jezebel feel? She wasn't too impressed. Yeah, she's not very pleased at all. It, it never gives any indication as to how Ahab felt about it. Yeah. <laughs> does it ever matter? <laughs> he had to go ask Jezebel how he was supposed to feel, I guess. <laughs> I think so. I have an idea Ahab's opinion doesn't really count. Yeah, this just happened. What, what do you think I should think about this? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Jezebel is enraged. And she does something that I think is kind of stupid. What does she do? She declares she'll kill him. Yeah. And swears by the God that just got killed. Yeah, and, and who does she declare that to? The guy who just killed her God. Yeah. She's telling the guy that she's going to kill him. Is there a problem with that? Yeah. You lose the element Takes, of surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Takes away the element of surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. It seems like more like an act of rage than rationality. If she really wanted to do him in, I mean, don't tell him you're going to, it seems to me like. But, you know, sometimes just saying something, you know, really threatening and mean sort of relieves a little bit of your rage. I don't know. Um... Uh, that's kind of funny to me. Uh, but she says, you're going to be just like one of those false prophets by this time tomorrow. <laughs> and if may, may the gods you know, destroy me if I don't end up killing you by then. I, go ahead. That's a safe... <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> she's, she's not going yeah. to kill me. Those gods. gods will kill me if I don't do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she doesn't have much to worry about on that score, does she? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Maybe she didn't think that, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, she didn't kill him. So. Well, but they didn't kill her. Yeah. So everybody lived. It all worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find it interesting that Ahab, what he tells her, it's more about what Elijah had done than what God had done. Good and point. It just shows a lot about where his mind's at. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. Good point. So, what's Elijah's reaction to Jezebel's uh, warning? He runs away. He's afraid. What do you think about that? Kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you really think? <laughs> Don't hold back. After what God had done, you know, this is not a reaction you would expect or hope out of one of the prophets, in my mind. Does it seem in character for him? No. He was pretty courageous when he challenged those 450 prophets there on Mount Carmel. 
even taunting them and you know one thing or another. I mean, he didn't seem like some kind of a shrinking violet or something. So it surprises me that all of a sudden he panics. And I'm not inclined to think that he was really supposed to run. You know, I'm not sure this journey was on God's agenda. Um, you know, he's kind of uh, going AWOL, it seems to me like. And not only that, but he goes a day's journey, sits down under the juniper tree, and what does he ask God to do? What Jezebel's going to do. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make any sense either. He's, he's running because he's afraid Jezebel will kill him, and he asked God to take his life. You know, so he wanted to die, but he sure didn't want to be killed. It's, it's really ironic, too. When he, says, when he asks, God to take, God, asks God to take his life, think about who's asking that. The guy who resurrected somebody? Even more, the guy who... The guy who's asking for God to take his life is the guy who... We're not with him. Yeah, was never going to die. <laughs> yeah, he never was going to die, even though he asked to. You know, one of only two people in the world who never did. <laughs> so he did not get what he asked, ever. God <laughs> didn't answer that problem. Well, what he asked. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but, you know, now, to me, does it make sense to ask God to kill you? Why didn't he just kill himself? Be a sand. <laughs> I think so. I think he doesn't consider suicide because he doesn't think he has the right to do that. You know, he asked God to take his life. God's got the right to. Well, I would think God would be more merciful than Jezebel. Hmm. Well, you know, well, uh, he could fall asleep and not wake up. Right. God find a more merciful way to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of getting like hacked to death. Elijah's not the last prophet to want God to take his life, right? Who else did? Jonah. Jonah. A little different though. Jonah wanted God to take his life because he was grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because he, his mission was so successful. I think Elijah because his mission was such a failure from his standpoint. He just feel like it's all lost hopeless. You know, we'll see that a little later when he talks to God and, you know, nobody left and, you know, I just might as well die, you know. I really think he had such high expectations after the slaughter of the false prophets that he's just, you know, crestfallen. He's just, he's so disheartened. You know, Jezebel wants to kill him. Nothing's really changed. Woe is me. And I think we do that. Man, I do. I do. Either things are wonderful or things are horrible. You know, I have a hard time with the middle. You know, either everything's going great, man, it's going to do this and this and this and this, and then suddenly the ball drops and it's like, oh, everything's horrible, nothing's ever going to be right, you know. And the truth is probably always kind of in the middle. You know, I'm trying to learn that the highs are probably not as good as what they seem like they are, and the lows are probably not quite as bad as they seem like they are. But I think he's just really, you know, disappointed in the reaction. Comments and thoughts on his uh, fleeing. He, he, he flees 40 days and 40 nights down to Mount Sinai. <laughs> um, and apparently only ate there under the juniper tree and doesn't eat for the 40 days and 40 nights. 
Do you remember anybody else who didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights? Moses. Moses. Jesus. Jesus. What do those three guys have in common? Mountains. Yeah, for whatever that's worth. Whoa. Kind of interesting. Um, so, any thoughts through verse 8? I like the encouragement from the angel to, you got work to do. You need to get up. And uh, the journey is too great for you. You know, there's plans that he had, he had a lot of work to do. And the best thing we can do when we get discouraged, and he, this guy is as discouraged as, as, as you can get, the best thing you can do is get up back on your feet and get busy doing something. Agree with that. So he got clear out of the country. Yes. He did. So Jezreel is like up in the middle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is it in the uh, hill country of Ephraim? I think it was. Somewhere <laughs> in that vicinity, anyway. <laughs> Pretty much everything was. Everything was in the hill country of Ephraim. <laughs> and he goes all the way to Beersheba and then all the way down to... This is from Minnesota. Mount Horeb. Sinai. Uh-huh. Approximately where in the Bible was it that Moses did not go okay. for 40 days and 40 nights? Isn't that, where is that, Exodus 19 or Exodus 24? One of those two, I think. Okay. Uh, we are going to be gone for a little while and probably won't be back in... Actually, Jezreel, looking at my Bible, is on the Manasseh Issachar yeah, line. Well, it's a little work. farther north than Ephraim. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, sorry, um, we're celebrating my mom's birthday tonight, so we have to be gone for a little bit. Um, so, yeah, you can, we can plan, we'll just plan to be back about nine, and so if you can come around then, that would be great. All right. It is six, it's six o'clock here right now. Nine, let's see, nine through, uh, let's do nine to 18. Okay, that'd be great. Thank you. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand in the mountain, stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and stood and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Haziel king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi 
you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about, the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave seven thousand in Israel, all the, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, the Lord says to, hey, to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why does the Lord ask that question? It's not that he doesn't know. He's trying to know, draw it out of Elijah. I think so. It shows God's mercy. He could have just written Elijah off. Well, you know, he, he went uh, without a divine travel permit. I'm just going to let him stew down there. But God comes to him down there and says, what are you doing here? And what's Elijah's answer? I've done everything I can, and it's just all gone bad. Yeah, and I'm the only one left. I Woe give, is me. I give up. Yeah. He's depressed. He's discouraged. You know, he thinks he's alone serving the Lord. There's no hope. You know, he's just at the bottom of the barrel here. Uh, and, well... You know, what does God do with a depressed prophet? Well, he does some interesting things. He tells him to go and stand on the mountain and while the Lord's passing by. And actually, he sees a number of things here, some pretty impressive things. A great and strong wind and like a wind that was just breaking the rocks in pieces. That must have been quite a wind. And then an earthquake and then a fire. And what is, what, if you see those things, what can you observe? The results. Yeah, but I'm saying, what does that show you? The wind, the earthquake, and the fire all is a demonstration of God's power. God's power. Now, that's one thing you need to see. You need to see God's a really, really powerful God. God can do amazing things. You know, quit being discouraged. God. But, but the thing it keeps saying after each one of those is what? The Lord was not in it. The Lord was not in it. Huh. So finally, you know, there was the sound of a gentle blowing, and, and Elijah heard that and went out and stood at the ends of the cave, and that's when the Lord came. The Lord was in this gentle blowing sound. The Lord wasn't in the wind, the earthquake, or the fire. What does that tell you? God works in subtle ways, too. That's exactly right. God's way is not always the dramatic. And there are a lot of times when God is acting, we don't even realize it. Because we're looking for some big display. You know, we're looking for another Mount Carmel, and God's in the gentle blowing. <laughs> you know, so I think we need to realize that just because we don't see some extraordinary miracle doesn't mean God's not working. God may just be in the sound of the gentle blowing this time. Just maybe what? In the sound of the gentle blowing. Um, and and he, he says again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says virtually the same thing. And th that the second thing God does, the first thing is to show his power, and yet he works in subtle ways. The next thing he does here in verse 15 and 16 is to tell Elijah to do what? Go back and further. 
Uh, first of all, the other end of the country. Yeah. From, <laughs> yes. Like further than he. All the way to Damascus. Has been. And do what? And anoint Hazael. And also. Jehu. And also. Elisha. Okay, now there's several things about that. For one thing, it's just what Jason said. What should somebody who's depressed do? Get busy. Get busy. Is that not right? I mean, that's exactly what we are constantly told to do. I might relate. This might be useful. The conversation. This was not with anybody in this country, but but recently I had a conversation with a, a, a you know relatively relatively young guy to me anyway, about thirty. <laughs> and I was really depressed, and you know he had some things he needed to do, but he's just not been doing much of anything. And so we talked for a little bit about some of, he needed to really get back and study the Bible, and he was doing some other things he needed to do. But then I asked him, I said, what else is there that really is hanging over your head that you really are not doing that you need to do? Well, I got this paper I need to write to finish my master's degree. Well, I said, have you started it? Well, he had the outline in about two pages out of about 80 or 90 that he needed to write. I said, you know, you work 30 minutes on your project, 15 minutes on Bible study, and 15 minutes writing, writing something on that paper, hour by hour for a while, and today and tomorrow, and then you write me the next morning and tell me how it was. He was much better in a day and a half. Just making himself, you know, do some Bible study, and get started again writing on the paper. What's hanging over us when we don't do it just paralyzes us. If we'll get busy and be active, we're not nearly as depressed. But he said, I just don't feel like it. You know, well, yeah, exactly. Not doing things that we really ought to do makes us feel horrible. So I think part of this is God giving Elijah a job, just saying, you need to go do these things. But it's more than just that. Because look at who he's going to anoint. He's going to anoint Hazael as the Aram king, Jehu as the Israel king, and Elisha as his successors, his successor. And these three men are going to be used by God to humble and destroy the family of Ahab. That's really who's going to be dealing with Ahab and Jezebel. Because Elisha is spiritually going to destroy them. Jehu is the one who's actually going to nationally kill them off, and Hazael internationally was going to humble Ahab's family. So he's supposed to anoint three guys that are going to be God's major players in bringing about the downfall of Ahab's family. There's work to do that will contribute to bringing Ahab and Jezebel to an end. So that's what he needed to do. You know, when we're just all in despair and woe is me and things are going terribly, instead of just throwing up our hands and moaning and groaning, let's get busy doing something that's going to help it. Well, I just don't think anything will help it. Well, God thinks differently. Go do what he tells you to. And the other thing God does in verse 18 is to give Elijah some uh, information he didn't know. What does he tell him? There's 7,000 more. There are 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. You didn't know. Now, I think 7,000 is here a symbolic number. But there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's always the 7,000, however many there are. There's always a group 
who is faithful. We don't see those. We just see the wicked. Comments and thoughts on all that. Well, it seems he was just seeing himself, too. Yeah, I mean, I, he seems to talk an awful lot about himself and what he has done. There's nothing that will depress us as much as thinking about ourselves. <laughs> and and when we when we start thinking about ourselves, it's a short step to feeling sorry for ourselves. When we feel sorry for ourselves, it's a short step to justifying our sins. That may be why he felt like it was okay for him just to take off and head south. Because poor me, I've had it so rough, this is so terrible. And we justify anything we want to do when we're suffering like this. Well, you know, as bad as I feel, I just, I, it's, it's my right to go south. Why does he have anything to do with the king of Aram? Uh, well, why wouldn't he have something to do with the king of Aram? He's a prophet of God. Yes, I mean, you can, we don't normally anoint the kings of Aram, do we? We don't, but uh, does God have anything to do with who's king in Aram? Yes. So? But like, voila. <laughs> but why would the Arameans listen to Elijah? Yeah, like... It doesn't matter if they listen, God, uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the, the, aside from the fact that obviously God's doing it, why are we going to... Well, because God said to. But now, do you realize how all this works itself out? Does Elijah in his own person anoint all three of these guys? No. He anoints one of them. Which one does Elijah personally anoint? Elisha. Which one does... Maybe I need to... I believe I'm right, but maybe I better check this and be sure. Which one does Elisha anoint? Yeah. Nope. Oh. That only makes at least one other, right? Uh, yes. Am I right about that? I think I am. Uh, let's see. Whoever anointed Jehu, didn't he? Is this the king one? He like, had to run out of the house after he uh, The thing I'm not sure is if I see him anointing him. Hazel comes to him. Uh, yeah, uh, look at uh, 2 Kings 8, verses 7 to 15. I'm just not sure that he actually did the anointing, but he's at least the one who told him that he was going to become king. And it was, a, it was an unidentified prophet that anointed Jehu in 2 Kings 9. So, actually, Elijah starts the bowl, ball rolling by anointing Elisha. But he doesn't actually do all the anointings. But I mean, I think the Lord is in control of every nation. And so, you know, he anoints whoever he wants and he raises and lowers whoever he wants. Other thoughts? 19 to 20. Where does he anoint Elisha? Uh, right here. Again, I'm not sure if it actually speaks of him anointing him, but he calls him. I'm assuming he did the anointing as well. I don't Put think his it mantle is. on him. Yeah. So that's the next chapter. No, that's the next 19. section. 19 to 21. 1919. 1919. 1919. So somebody want to read 19 to 21? So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him. 
and he with the twelfth. And when Elijah passed, passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he rose and called Elisha and ministered to him. Okay, so he does go find Elisha. What's Elisha doing? Plowing. And Elijah threw, throws his mantle over him. And what does Elisha ask permission to do? Tell his parents goodbye. Yeah, say goodbye to his parents. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Let me first go bury my father. Yeah, actually even closer than that in Luke 9 also. Luke 9, 61, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Remember what God, God tells that guy? Jesus tells that guy? Don't come back. No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says no. But Elijah tells Elisha, it's okay. Sure. So why does Elijah let Elisha go say goodbye, but Jesus doesn't let this would-be follower go say goodbye? Elijah wasn't as important as God. That's my preference. The followers of Jesus have to have a greater commitment to him than what Elisha had to have to Elijah. The other possibility is that they were saying it with a different mindset. That Elisha was just saying, I want to say goodbye, and the follower of Jesus, Jesus knew, was really wanting to put his family first or something. But I, I like the idea that really the call of Jesus is just a more powerful thing. I mean, you've got higher requirements to be a follower of Jesus. So who knows? I will say this about Elisha. What does he do with his uh, plowing stuff? Sacrificing. Yeah. Burn it. And he gives, you know, um, the people an opportunity to eat from the oxen that he's uh, sacrificed and, and so forth. I mean, by, by Elisha essentially using for a sacrifice his plow and his... Uh, you know, oxen, what is that doing? It's showing a commitment to yeah. what he's going to be doing for the rest of his life. Because? He's not going to be doing that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> turning back to that plow. <laughs> burning the bridge when he comes to it. Yes, that's burning your bridges. That's exactly right. I like that expression. We need to, we need to re-inaugurate burning our bridges in the American language. Because that's what you need to do. You make it to where you can't go back. At least not with those, those oxen. Now with that plow, I mean, it, it's so much better when we make it hard to return. We want to leave everything set up just right in case I have a change of mind, then I can go back to, you know, doing the wrong thing. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to make a commitment to the Lord, then we've got to decisively not do the things that we've done before. You know, I mean, the guy who's trying to quit drinking, but he leaves, leaves a beer in the refrigerator just in case. Well, he's not going to quit drinking. And it, but, but don't we do that with other things? You know, leave it all set up. because I mean, if I really, yeah, I mean, we're, we're afraid maybe we'll have a hankering to and we wouldn't have it 
all ready for us. So, you know, well, if we've got that mindset, we won't do it. I really like this idea you burn it and then now you're committed. You can't go back to farming. And would food still have been scarce because of the drought? So this would be helpful to them or? Mm, I hadn't thought about that, maybe. Because there's not very much time that has elapsed in it. Probably not. We don't know exactly how much time is elapsing when it's all said and done. But. It, it's never seen, it doesn't seem real clear what he asked and what he told him. He didn't say exactly much, and, but Elisha seems to get the point. Maybe they said some things that aren't recorded. Go back again for what have I done to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm not telling you you have to follow me right now. Go, go where you want to. I mean, that's my take, but... But, but then it doesn't indicate that he actually did go tell anybody bye. He just returned from following and took the oxen and sacrificed them. Yeah. Maybe they had a good five party with the <laughs> oxen meat. Maybe so. It's a little unclear. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he did go, but I don't know. All right, uh, chapter 20, verses 1 to 12. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, gathered all his army, and there were 32 kings with him. And he went up into the 